Well, praise God, we want to welcome everyone that's joined us by live stream this morning. Uh, those who watch my live stream, you are very, very important to this body. Uh, you may or may not could be here. We got a lot of people from out of, out of state, out of town listening to us. Uh, praise God for that. We're getting the word of God out, right? Yeah. Amen. Uh, I do invite those who may be in the area within a 50-mile uh, radius. It's only a short drive to church. It would be a good time for you and your wife or you and your kids to get to know each other where you're not texting each other across from the dinner table. Amen. Hey, y'all laugh, but that's I, my wife and my grandson was at one day in a restaurant sitting right across from each other and texting each other. He'd put the phones down and talk face to face. So I'm telling all of y'all by live stream this morning, I want to see you face to face. Amen. Praise God. But we're glad you're here this morning. Hallelujah. Uh, I'm going to turn this pulpit over to, I don't turn my pulpit over to too many people, but this is one young man that I, I know his heart and I know he never compromises God's word. Amen. So if y'all would, would y'all help me welcome Pastor Buck. Amen. Love you, brother. All right. How's everybody doing this morning? Y'all ready to jump into the word? So I'm bringing a message to you this morning called, It Is Time. It's time. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, it's time. So a little bit about me, if you've never heard me, met me, or seen me. Uh, I'm a youth pastor down at Mont Bellevue, Texas. Uh, and so I've been the youth pastor the last five and a half years. I've been an ordained minister for nine years. Um, been a, a PK all my life. We all know the stories uh, about PK kids. They're true. Um, all right, a few of you heard them. All right, sweet. No, I'm just kidding, kind of. Um, but uh, I love this place. I'm so glad that Pastor John allowed me to stand in the pulpit and bring you the word this morning. Um, so the Lord's really laid something on my heart here lately, and um, he, he's kind of shifted me into a new direction on its time. Um, and what that really entails is that it is time for the body of Christ to go to war. You see, a lot of times what we have in our mindset as believers is if we go to church, that's good enough. What if I was here to tell you this morning that there is no good enough in the kingdom of God? You see, you're either a doer of the word or just a hearer of the word. There's not good enough. The Bible tells us to not just be a hearer. Being a hearer is just good enough. But the Bible says to not just be a hearer, but to be a doer. So it's time for you to do. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, are you ready? So I'm preaching out of Isaiah chapter 59 this morning. We're going to read a little bit, but I'm going to break it down to you. And so I want to start off with this. There's an Irish state, statesman named Edmund Burke. And he's often misquoted as having said, those who do not know history are destined to repeat it. There's a Spanish philosopher, George Santayana, is created with the aphorism that those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And then Winston Churchill wrote, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So I want to give you a history lesson this morning in Isaiah chapter 59. 
And before we dive in, we got to understand that where we are in history in this particular passage, the prophet Isaiah, he prophesied in the first 39 chapters, he prophesied judgment upon immoral and idolatrous men. You see, Judah had sinned against God. The surrounding nations have sinned. The whole earth has sinned, and judgment must come. You see, God didn't allow such sin to go unpunished forever. And then the final 27 chapters declare a message of hope. This is what Isaiah is writing about. The first 39 was judgment. The last 27 chapters declare a message of hope. That message of hope is that there is a Messiah coming. There's a Savior. There's a Savior coming to bear a cross and to wear a crown. So specifically where we pick up is in the latter part of Isaiah. But right where we are in Isaiah 59, the prophet Isaiah is actually talking about Israel's sin. Where they are specifically in their sin. And I I, I mentioned these quotes that we cannot remember the past. Are, are those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And I want you to think in your mind this morning, the state of the world, right? All right, you'd have to be living under a rock to not understand the state of the world. We see it in the news. We see it in social media. We see it everywhere we go. We hear it on the radio. We see it. Different countries, there's wars. All right, June is National Pride Month. We see it. We know it. We know the state. But those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. So I want you to keep this in the back of your mind and and understand where Israel was as a nation, but also that this is a foreshadowing. This is prophecy. All right, the prophet Isaiah was actually prophesying in Isaiah 59. This is where they were specifically, but also there is unfulfilled prophecy in here, and we're going to get to that. So Isaiah 59, verse number 1, it says, Behold, everybody say, Behold. Behold. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. So right off the bat, he's telling them there is nothing. There is no issue with God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. His, His blessings are yes and amen. There's nothing wrong with God. Right? There should never be any issue with God. Well, why do we fall short? So he begins to break it down in verse number two. He says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You see, sin will always remove you from the presence of God. You see, we always wonder, well, why, why can't we get our prayers answered? Why, why, why does this happen? Why this or that, whatever it may be. But a lot of times we like to throw blame on God. God, why did you let this happen? God, why did you let uh, the nation get in, in, in the uh, despair and hurt and heartache? And why do you let evil happen? Well, God's hand's not shortened. God's same yesterday, today, and forevermore. But a lot of times what ends up happening is that we have sin that we like to keep in the closet. We, we get dressed up. We go to church. We clap our hands. We may even know the name or the words to the songs. But a lot of times what we don't understand is that we're just like Samson. A lot of people talk about Matthew chapter 7, and there's a scripture in there where it says, On that day, people will cry out, Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I've worked miracles in your name. And a lot of people think that is, that's a scary verse. 
Because on that day, God will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. You want to know what terrifies me is to, some, to be someone, to be a comfortable Christian as to like Samson was. Samson woke up, hair cut off. He went to go fight the Philistines, and he didn't even know that the Lord departed from him. You see, it's time that we stop the monotony. We, we stop the, the routine of church, and we actually become the body of Christ. You see, it's time for the church to stand up. It's time for the church to go to war. It's time for the church to be the bridge from the world to God. You see, you're created. You're fearfully, wonderfully created. You were created for such a time as this, but you weren't created to sit in a pew. You weren't created to just get your family saved. The Bible tells us to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and to love thy neighbor as you love thyself. Well, I love myself a lot. But it's easy for the church to condemn the world, but when was the last time you punched yourself in the face for messing up? When's the last time you held yourself accountable? Well, their sin's worse. Nah, sin is sin. See, love thy neighbor, have compassion, have mercy, have grace, have love. See, these are things of the fruit of the Spirit, and that's what we are. We're, we're created in God's image, and that's the image of God. Love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, selflessness, self-control. That's the fruits of the Spirit. That's what we're created in. But it's time to go to war, and I'm going to teach you how to go to war this morning. And so I want to keep reading. It says, but your, iniqui your iniquities, hopefully I can read this morning, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are, are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies and your tongue has muttered perversity. There's a lot of big words in here for me. No one calls for justice. You see, I, I, want you to, I want you to think about today's society. This was written 2,000 years ago. This was the state in which Israel was in. But it's also the state that we're in today. You see, that's why I love these quotes that those who do not know history are destined to repeat it. We're repeating it right now. It says, no one calls for justice, nor does any plead for truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They hatch viper eggs and weave spider's webs. He who eats of their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed, a viper breaks out. Their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquities, and the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts of thoughts of iniquity, wasting and destruction in their paths. The way of peace they have not known, and there is no justice in their ways. They've made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes the way, or whoever takes that way, shall not know peace. That's a lot. And I still got more. But right off the bat, we see that the world is in turmoil. But the prophet Isaiah is telling us that whoever takes that way shall not know peace. You see, the only way you're going to find peace in this world is through Jesus Christ. It's not going to be...
peace in your bank account. It won't be peace in your job. It won't be peace in your marriage. All these things have an opportunity to fail. But God will never fail. See, these are the only things that can bring love and true love, joy. You see, these are the only things that can bring peace. The Bible tells us that he gives us the, the, the peace that surpasses all understanding. In the moments where you have no idea how you can have peace, in the most abrupt chaos, in the nastiest of storms, you can find peace. But your peace determines on where you run to. Do you run to the things of the world or do you run to the Father? Do you run to the promises? You see, therefore, in verse number nine, they start to confess. This is where they are. It says, therefore, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there's darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as twilight. Whereas dead men in desolate places, we all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves, and we look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. See, this is where things begin to shift to the confession of sin and guilt for Israel. It says, for our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as far and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord, and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. This is where it starts getting good. Y'all ready? And then the Lord saw it and, it and it displeased him that there was no justice. And in verse number 16, he says, and he saw that there was no man. I want you to hear that. He saw that there was no man and he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. That's crazy to me, in that all of Israel, in that time period, when there was so much injustice going on, there was so much evil, there was not one person to stand up. You see, this is where the church has gotten today. You see, what happens is, is we get comfortable and we allow the preachers to talk out. We allow, well, you know what, my pastor will go out and, and preach to the world. And he will. You have a phenomenal pastor. And pastors all over the world are actually preaching the truth. But there are a lot of wolves in sheep clothing today. And all they are is duplicating it in the body of Christ. We'll let somebody else do it. Well, here's the deal. Pastor John doesn't go to work with you. He don't go home with you. He doesn't have your family. He doesn't have your connections. You see, this is why it is so important and it's so vital that we understand as the church, we are the body of Christ. And if you will, stick with me. If, if pastor is the head of the church, ultimately God is the head, then you got pastor and then you got the people. Well, the head is no good without the body. Right. 
Think of it in the natural. You break a leg, you break a toe, you break an arm. It doesn't function properly, right? There's pain. You're limited in what you can do. Well, there's so many times that God relays to us that the church is the body of Christ. And when we do not function as the body of Christ, we limit his hand. But his hand is not limited in what he can do. We limit ourselves. See, the Bible tells us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But a lot of times we want God to strengthen someone else to do it. I have a saying I tell my teenagers all the time, only dead fish go with the flow. Only dead Christians go with the flow. You see, the Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully created. You were never created to fit in, but you were created to stand out. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how well-seasoned you may think you are, because a lot of people don't like the word old. Well-seasoned, I'll take it. Aging like fine wine. All right, wine's in the Bible. Y'all need Jesus. But you're fearfully and wonderfully created. You're created such for a time as this. And you weren't created to sit in a pew. You were created to go to war. There's a reason why in Ephesians it tells us to put on the full armor of God. We don't put on the full armor to sit on the couch. We don't put on the full armor just to stick with our family. We put on the full armor to go to, the, go, go to war, to advance the kingdom of God. You see, it tells us that he saw that there was no man and he wondered that there was no intercessor. Not only was the state of God's people bad, but no one among them took the lead in getting it right. No one among them said, you know what? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You see, where was the man who would lead the people in righteousness? He could not be found. Where was the intercessor? Maybe you weren't created to go on the front line because here's the deal. You have a purpose. Some people are created and purpose to stand in a pulpit. Some people are created to be a singer. Listen, I am so glad God said to make a joyful noise and not the right pitch or the right key. I'd be in trouble. I can preach, but I cannot sing to save my life. If I start singing, people start leaving. All right, we want people to come into the church, not run from the church. But you have purpose. Some of you have a purpose to be a greeter, to be an usher, to be an evangelist, to go out and to be the difference in your workplace, in your home. Some of you have an anointing to pray. And not just for yourself, but to pray for others, to intercede. And he even says, he says, there's no, there was no one that was an intercessor that could not be found. You see, and then it goes on and says, therefore his own arm brought salvation for him. You see, God waited and waited for a disobedient Israel to turn back to him. He waited for someone to go against the status quo. He waited. And no one arose. So the Lord did it himself. You see, if a man or an intercessor or a woman or a child or somebody would have just stood up and stood out, it would have saved Israel a lot of calamity. But with you or without you, 
God's work will still be accomplished. Yes, sir. And in verse number 17, it says, for he put on righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. righteousness. So here's the deal. Not only did he go to war, not only did he begin to shift a nation back towards him, but he gives you how to do it. He gives you a play-by-play. So he put on righteousness as a breastplate, a helmet of salvation on his head. Why does that sound familiar? Where do we know that from? Ephesians chapter 6, right? Look, we're going to get to the good stuff later. Later. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. You see, God took an appearance of a warrior, but he did not fight in the natural. And here's what I mean by that. You were not created to be right. You were created to love. Love covers a multitude of sins. I don't need to be right. Now, I know I'm right. I know what we believe in. I know the truth. When you know the truth, the truth shall what? Set you free. But here's the deal. Here's how you go to war. You don't fight in the natural. All too often we see it in social media, we see it in everyday life, we've had personal encounters, we may have heard of stories and testimonies of people arguing about the gospel and where the world is today. I don't have to be right. I am called to love, to love thy neighbor. And here's the deal. You can agree or disagree and still love thy neighbor. See, all too often, no one wants to step foot in the church because they feel like they'll be judged. Listen, I want a church full of drunkards. I want a church full of people struggling with homosexuality. I want a church full of people who struggle with their identity and transgenderism and whatever else they throw out there. I don't even care if they call themselves a donkey. I want them in church. The donkey's fitting. That's the only one that I'll agree with. I'll let you put two and two together. Y'all get it? Okay. All right, just checking. Listen, I love people. But I want the church full because at least they're here. At least they have an opportunity. But if we do not, as the body of Christ, begin to love the way the Father loved, he broke bread with the sinners, he, he went and he, and he went to the house with the sinners. But here's the deal. Their sin, their morality, and their stance on what they believe the truth never shifted the gospel. But he allowed the gospel, he allowed the truth to begin to shift their morality. But it was through love. See, Jesus himself did not come to condemn the world, so why should I condemn someone else? He told me to love, love God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, and to love thy neighbor. Well, what does love look like? Well, Jesus was the perfect example. He went to the cross to lay down his life. When's the last time you stood up for someone being persecuted? When's the last time you even went against the grain and stood up and made yourself look like a fool? They're not scared to look like fools. They'll protest. They'll throw everything in your face. They'll go to the school systems. They'll, they'll go to the government. They'll, they'll do everything. When, when's the last time? Oh, well, we go to church. We believe, we believe in, in Jesus. We'll, we'll share a Facebook post. 
When's, when are you going to start going to war? When, when are you going to start standing up for the gospel? When are you going to let them know that just because your feelings and your emotions may change and just because we're in 2023, the gospel is still the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. For he put on righteousness. And therefore his own arm brought salvation for him. But he didn't war in the natural. You see, but he put on the spiritual armor and the weapons that would move the supernatural. See, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, and like I said, we'll get to it. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. My fight, my quarrel has never been with anyone individually. And then a step further than that is that you cannot change any kind of supernatural, any kind of demonic entity with the natural. It's not drugs, it's not medicine, it's not doctors. Here's the deal, I believe they all have a purpose, but if, if the devil can persuade a third of heaven to fall, I guarantee you he can persuade a few doctors. I guarantee you he can persuade a few politicians. You see, we don't fight in the natural, but we fight with the supernatural. So we can't go at it with a natural mindset. The Bible says if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we can speak to this mountain and tell it to move. It's through the faith. It's through the promises of God. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not your ways. It's not your tricks. It's not your knowledge. It's not your quick wit. But it is the truth of the gospel. And the truth shall set them but here's the deal do you even believe in the truth well pastor I go to church well Judas went to church Judas walked and talked and ate and broke bread with Jesus you see you can still be in a church you can still do all these things but you can still be so far away from the Lord just like it said well I, I know Jesus I got a I got a scripture on my Facebook I got a picture of the cross on my Facebook well, that's great. But is God imprinted in your heart? You see, people, it's time that we start being bold for the kingdom of God. Amen. It's time for the church to stand up. We've been a sleeping giant for far too long. You see... It wasn't just the natural, but he put on the spiritual armor. And he fought with weapons that would move the supernatural. That would wage war against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. So the same way God went to battle, he's given you. He's given you that armor. He's given you the word. He's given you that truth. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to sit by and sit back and allow history to repeat itself? Or are you going to be fed up enough to say that it is time that we do something? And then it goes on in verse number 18 and it says, according to their deeds and according he will rule pay. Right there, you reap what you sow. Fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies in the coastlands, he will fully repay. And in verse number 19, it says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. 
When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The Redeemer will come to Zion and those who turn from transgression. And Jacob says the Lord. <clears throat> Verse number 20 and 21, things begin to go prophetic. If you study out history, in fact, in Isaiah 59, there's a lot of scholars that believe Isaiah is actually dead up until this point. That everything that he has wrote is prophetic and a lot of his disciples released later on. That's what a few scholars believe. So right here, he begins to prophesy. And if you know, if you know anything about Israel, what's the state in Israel right now? Did you know that if you can go, if you go to Israel and you begin to preach the gospel and preach who Jesus was, you can be jailed for up to three years in Israel. Three years. You can go to prison for three years by speaking the name of Jesus in Israel right now. 2023. The Holy Land. God's people. It doesn't sound like they're free right now. So, see, this is a prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled. It says that the Redeemer will come to Zion and those who turn from transgression in Jacob, says the Lord. And he says, ask for me, says the Lord. You see, this is God speaking. He said, this is my covenant with them, my spirit <coughs> who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your descendants. Nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. You see, this, this began as a prophetic world, word for the children of Israel. And then he leads us into that there has to be a turning point. You see, in verse number 20, and it says, And to those who turn from transgression, you can't be the same old, same old and expect something new. I tell my kids all the time, change happens when change happens. It sounds redundant. It sounds so simple, but yet we can't grasp a hold of why our life keeps happening the way it does, right? What is the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over, but expecting a different outcome every single time, but always getting the same results. That's insanity. That is the actual definition. But you see, every time that we put our faith in the world, it may be in drugs, it may be in alcohol, it may be in pornography, it may be in sexual addictions, it may be in whatever it may be, it may be in drugs, you know, it, it, it may be in narcotics, whatever it may be, we always find ourselves at a dead end. Even in people. I tell people this all the time. Whether you're in church, whether you're in the world, in the workplace, people will always be people. No matter where you go. You'll find hypocrisy in the world, you'll find hypocrisy in the church. But your faith should never be in people. It should be in the Lord. Now, people can help. Bible says iron sharpens iron, so a friend will sharpen a friend. Bible also lets us know that bad company corrupts good morals. So who you surround yourself with is vital, but people will always be people. Your faith should never be in just Pastor John and what he says. Your faith should be in the word and what she preaches from. And then you as yourself should act as iron. I can't tell you how many people just take pastors today their word. Well, my pastor said this. Well, that's fantastic what he said, but does it say anything about that in the word of God? Well, no, I believe it because my pastor said it. Well, where are we at in the state of the world today? We have pastors preaching that 
that David was homosexual with Jonathan. We, we have pastors preaching that homosexu- homosexually, um, homosexuality is actually biblical. We, we got, there's pastors all across the world preaching that it is okay to be transgender because God made a mistake and you're not actually who you were born to be. See, the Bible tells us, I believe it's in 2 Timothy, that in the last days that people will find teachers for themselves. They'll sound smart. But my faith has never been in just a teacher. My faith has never been in just a pastor. My faith is in the word of God, who God says he is, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, that he's never made a mistake. So where's your truth? What are you, what are you, what are you clinging to? Let's think about it in the natural aspect, right? If all you ever did was eat on Sundays and Wednesdays, you would be a beanpole. You'd be skinny, right? There'd be a lot of people concerned. Now, if you ask my wife, I need to go on a diet like that. But y'all weren't supposed to laugh at that. I'm just kidding. But think about it in the supernatural because we don't war with the natural. We go to war with spirits and principalities and, and powers and rulers in the dark place. So if all you ever do, and if your fix is always an hour, if you will, of Bible teaching on Sunday and possibly Wednesday, and you expect to move demonic spirits, forces, powers, principalities that have been around for thousands of years. Right? See, we don't war in the natural we war with the supernatural, and then there are ways, ways to build up that. And then it begins to go on. I ain't even started preaching yet. Y'all ready? See, verse number 19 through 21, he begins to speak in prophetic to the children of Israel. And so shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. You see, this shows that the end result will be wonderful. And his ultimate victory, which he wants to share with us and in us and through us, but he can accomplish it without us. You see, the glory of the Lord will be known and respected as far as the east is to the west. And then he tells us when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Can we, ask, can we honestly ask ourselves, would we even fit that standard today? Would you be called upon by the Lord? That's a tough question to ask yourself. A lot of people are like, yes, absolutely. Send me, Lord, I'll go. Now, church, don't start throwing rocks at me just yet. I promise you, I'm going to bring it back. But way too many of you have only ever sat in your pew. That's as far as you'll go. You see, it's time to be the hands and feet of the gospel. Yes, sir. It's time to put on the full armor of God. You see, the enemy is going to come in like a flood. Y'all live in Wimberley, Texas. Y'all have, y'all have experienced floods. It comes in a moment of notice. It, it, it wreaks rampage through everything in its path. I remember a few years ago when, when it flooded down here, and it was thousands and millions of dollars, homes, Roads, everything was destroyed in its path, all in an hour's notice. 
cars, everything. People lost their lives. It was gnarly. But it says the enemy is going to come in like a flood. In Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us that there will be an evil day. Are you ready? Have you done everything to withstand? Are you ready? Would you be called upon to be the standard against him? You see, the enemy of the Lord will never triumph over him. Even if they come in like a flood, even when things seem to be unstoppable, <clears throat> even when things begin to seem like it is the most gnarliest storm in your entire life that you've ever experienced, the Lord will lift up a battle standard against him and he will be stopped. You see, God gives his people the glorious privilege of being more than a conqueror. Not only are you a winner, not only did you win the battle, you're more than a conqueror. What does more than a conqueror mean? More than a conqueror means that you do not fight from a place of defeat, but you fight from a place of victory. The battle's already been won, but you still have to fight. I like to think of, of David and Goliath. I like to think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I like to think of Daniel and the lion's den. They were all willing. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were, they were willing to they say, listen, King Nebuchadnezzar, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how many times you play the music. I will not bow down to your golden idol. It doesn't matter if you kill me today. It doesn't matter if God delivers us from this or not. We will not bow down. It was their willingness. They never cast a stone. They never picked up a sword, but they were willing to fight. God kept them through the furnace. God never said he's going to keep you from the fire. God never said he's going to keep you from the battle, but he'll keep you through the battle. He'll keep you through the fire. He'll keep you through the lion's den. But are you willing? Are you ready and are you willing? Love the story of King David. You see, it wasn't a warrior. Yes, he had an anointing to be a king. He had an anointing to be a warrior, but it wasn't a warrior, nor was it a king that day that defeated Goliath. Do you know who it was? It was a believer. He believed the word, and it even says it. I encourage you to read it. I've read it a thousand times. And it was on like 991 that that revelation came to me. But it said David on that day when he began to go to war, he was not timid. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, shy. He wasn't, he, he wasn't scared. In fact, it says that he ran to the battlefield. A shepherd boy. And he didn't go with the king's armor. He didn't go with the, king. He didn't go with the best of the best. He went with exactly what God prepared him with. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a song leader. You just have to be willing to go with who God's prepared you as. Are you willing? Are you ready? Because it's time. It's time for the church to be the church. It's time for the believers to stand up and be the bridge to a hurt and lost and dying world. It's time for re reconciliation between your family, between your friends, between your loved ones. It's time for the hand of God to move drastically. You see, stop fighting from a place of defeat. You fight from a place of victory. That's what being more than a conqueror is. But I do want to say this. Victory does not come without a war. Not spiritually nor physically. 
You can't have victory without a war. So how far are you prepared to go, church? Y'all ready for me to start preaching? The church has to stop expecting victory by association. Well, we'll let Pastor John go and, and, and bring the new people in. We'll, we'll let the Cowboy Church come up with a new game plan, a new children's facility to get the children in. We'll do a new men's meeting. We'll have better food to bring people in. You see, it's not the next thing. It's not the next self-help. It is you. It is the body of Christ to go forth and preach the gospel and to bring the good news. Pastor John has his part in it. The youth pastors and the teachers have their part in it, but so do you. You see, it's time for you to stand up. You see, the church has started handing out participation trophies rather than the armor of God. We want everyone to feel included instead of powered. You see, everyone's eager to grab their participation trophy. And what does that mean? It means, yes, Jesus loves me. And he does. And here's the deal. You do gain victory by association. How? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that you're an heir to the kingdom of God. It says you're a blood-bought creation. It says that you're a child of God. That is victory by association. But your victory nor your association stops there. If heaven... Is your ultimate goal you missed the mark just to get to heaven? How did Jesus pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's your goal. Bring heaven down to earth. To be the standard. To change a nation. It was teenage boys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was a teenage boy. King David. There's so many other people. Jesus. Do y'all know it wasn't the world that crucified Jesus? It was the church. The scribes and the Pharisees, the scholars, the people who knew the scripture. I'm curious if we would even know if Jesus was to walk in here and to preach the word, would we accept it or would we throw stones? Because it doesn't fit our norm. It makes us uncomfortable. You can't be comfortable in the kingdom of God. Jesus wasn't comfortable going to the cross. To love thy neighbor is truly getting uncomfortable. Doing something, having those hard conversations with an addict or with a drunkard or having those hard conversations with someone who is stuck in homosexuality and they believe that they are born that way. Well, that's phenomenal. You can believe that you're born that way. We know Romans 2 tells us that God will give us over to a reprobate mind. But the Bible also tells us that we need to be born again. That you're a new creation. That there has to be a turning point. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God and expect to move mountains. See, Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the full armor of God. Everyone's eager to grab their trophy, but few are willing to pick up their armor. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, and this is where I'll finish up. This is part 9 of 18 on my closing. I'm just kidding. 
Maybe. (laughs) You see, in verse number 10, Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. What should you put on? The whole armor. Put on the whole armor of God that you may, you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against rulers of darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I want to I bring revelation to you. In verse number 12, it says, for we do not wrestle. That word in the Greek is pale. Did you know that that word actually means to physically fight and stand victoriously with your foot on the opponent's neck? The only time in the Bible that God tells you to physically fight. But he doesn't tell us that we are fighting in the natural. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but there is a time that you are going to have to put on the full armor of God. You are going to have to battle. You are going to have to stand in the gap for your children, for your husband, for your wife, for your school system, for the politicians, for this nation, for your pastors. There's a time that you are going to have to put on the full armor of God and you are going to have to go to war. You see that word wiles, it's devious or cunning strategies employed in manipulating or persuading someone to do what he wants. The Greek word is methodius. It means to plan, to scheme, to deceive, entrap, and enslave. The devil comes to rob, kill, and destroy. He wants you ensnared in his traps. He wants you to believe what the world believes. He doesn't want you to believe in the truth because he knows the truth brings freedom. And then it says the wiles. It's plural. Well, Pastor Buck, I stood up to alcoholism back in 1974. That's great. What have you done with it today? You have a testimony. The Bible tells us that it's the blood of the, word, or the, blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So many of you have lived with shame and guilt, and shame and guilt was never of the Lord. Now, you're not here to glorify your testimony. You're not here to glorify your sin, but you're here to glorify God and saying, God, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. My ears was once closed, but now I hear. I see the goodness. I've tasted of the goodness. I felt your love, your joy, your peace, and your patience, your kindness. God, I've seen it. And here's the deal. We're not preaching from a point of I know But we're preaching from a point that we're still learning. There's not one person that will ever stand in the pulpit who has it all figured out. You should always have revelation after revelation and always learning, always being willing to learn. But that word is plural. It indicates that there's more than one time the devil comes to rob, kill, and destroy. Just because he passed the up once doesn't mean he's not coming back. The Bible tells us in Job that he seeks, he goes to and fro seeking whom he may devour. So he might pass you once, but I guarantee you he's coming back. He's always searching, always seeking. Maybe alcohol didn't work for you. Maybe pornography will. Maybe, maybe sexual idolatry or, or lust or, or, or maybe, you know, worshiping baseball more than you do God. Maybe you prioritizing something above God. It may have a different face, but it is still the same sin and it's still the same lie. 
But you, as a believer, have to put on the full armor of God, done everything to withstand the wiles of the devil. See, the devil never stops seeking out an opportunity to catch you sleeping. The moment you step out of the will of the Father, he's there and he's ready to trap you and enslave you. That's what we were talking about in, in, in Isaiah 59. The sin, our iniquities have separated us from the Father. And then we begin to fool ourselves thinking that we are still in tune. We still have the Holy Spirit, even though we still go to church, but yet we let our iniquities rule our lives rather than the Word of God. Well, Pastor Buck, you don't know my depression. You don't know my anxiety. You don't know my life. You don't know my story. Good, I don't need to. Because what I do know, I do know the truth, and truth shall set you free. I do know he gives you peace that surpasses understanding. I do know he says that you're fearfully and wonderfully created. I do know that the Bible says that the good and the bad will work together for his greater good. So no matter what you say, no matter where you've been, I have sympathy with you. I have sympathy for you, but it's not how we were or not where we were. And it's not even where we are, but it is where we're going. And it's what he continues to do day in and day out. But you have to be ready to go to war. And then he goes on to tell us in verse number 13, it says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to <coughs> withstand in the evil day and have done all to stand. The evil day. There's two things I want to teach you on this, on the evil day. You see, in the natural, we think that there's going to come a day. Meaning that he's talking about in the future. That we'll be able to withstand in the evil day. So in the natural, we think we have time. Did you know there are some um, definitions that it actually doesn't say the evil day? It actually translates into the evil one. So if we reread it as the evil one, meaning that we know the devil comes to rob, to kill, and destroy. He know, we know that he is the father of lies. We know that he's constantly seeking and searching. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil one, and having done all the stand. So now that begins to change things around. We go from thinking that there's time to now we have to put on the full armor of God today, this morning. Now, if you want to think about the evil day, right? Well, the evil day could be Monday. It ends in day. The evil day could be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We could keep going. Every day that ends in Y. It could be the evil day. Are you ready? Or are you going to be caught sleeping? Are you ready to go to war? Because it's time that the believers stand up and actually start believing in what they're being fed and what they're being preached to and what the gospel says. You see, but then he goes on and he tells us that first, the first thing, I don't know about you, but when I woke up this morning, I didn't put my belt on first. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. Thank God for belts, otherwise we'd all be plumbers, but I didn't put my belt on first. Oh, y'all got that one, didn't y'all? All right. Just make sure y'all are still awake. But it refers to the belt of truth because without truth, it holds nothing together. What does the belt do? It holds everything up. And even in the, or even in the historical context, in Ephesians, putting on the whole armor, it holds the weapons. It holds the armor in place. So without the truth, 
you have nothing to hold to. That's why it's important to put the whole armor of God, and it's important to put on the belt of truth first. You see, the, uh, the Bible tells us in John 8 that the Satan is the father of lies. You see, the truth of the Bible, what is the truth? The truth is the love of God, salvation through Jesus Christ and the second coming. The truth is forgiveness of sin, and the truth is, is that grace and power to live for Jesus you see, these are the truths that we need to cling to that will set us <coughs> free from Satan's lies. You see, Satan would have us believe that we're sinful, we're lost, we're shameful, we should live with guilt, that we're unworthy, and that we'll never be good enough, and that we're without hope, and we have no future. The truth is, is that God's love and salvation has set us free from sin and death. You see, the second way that truth serves as a belt is literal. Like I said, it holds everything together. Thank God you're not plumbers, but you're believers. If you're a plumber, tough luck. We thank God for y'all as well. You see, without the truth, what Jesus did on the cross, we wouldn't have salvation. We wouldn't have freedom. You see, without salvation and without the truth of forgiveness, we have nothing to hold on to or cling to. And then he goes on and tells us in verse number 14 that we therefore, having girded your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So we got the belt of truth and then the, belt, the breastplate of righteousness. You see, the breastplate covers the heart and it shields it and the other vital organs. The Bible says to keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it springs the issues of life. It also says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you treasure? Do you treasure the goodness and the mercy and the things of the Lord? Or do you treasure baseball? Do you treasure after school programs? Do you treasure other things? And I'm not saying none of those, I'm not saying all those things are evil. All those things have a place. Or they have a purpose. I love sports. I love football, baseball. I play them all. But not one time did those become more important than my relationship with the Father. You see, to keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. You see, that's what Christ's righteousness does for you. It protects you against all of Satan's accusations and charges. The righteousness is not made up of good deeds you do. The Bible is clear that none of us are righteous in ourselves. You see, the breastplate of righteousness is entirely the righteousness of Jesus, which he gives us freely when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And when we do, he lives on the inside of us. It's Christ's righteousness, not our own, that covers and protects us. And then it goes on in verse number 15, and it says, Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is an important one. Are your feet willing to take you where God's called you? Because here's the deal. In some of the places that you may go and you may travel, it is not going to be peaceful. Ask me how I know. Well, thank you for asking. No one asked. but Okay, thank you, Pastor John. You're the only one curious. As brutal as Jesus' crucifixion 
His peace is in God. Same as the disciples. They didn't have a peaceful, happily ever after story. They were martyred. They were crucified. They were beheaded. They were tarred. Are your feet willing to take you where God's called you? Because you will find peace in the gospel. Not peace in the situation. Because the situations you may be heading into may bring death and destruction. But you do not find life in your situations. You find life in Jesus Christ. You see, soldiers marching into battle must have a comfortable shoe. So as soldiers for Christ, we must put on the gospel shoes that will allow us to march wherever our Lord leads. In 1 John, it says that he who says that he abides in him, Jesus, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Are you following Jesus Christ? You see, Satan will try to place obstacles in your past. Or in your path. He'll try to come and take you and steer you away from your purpose. But we can find strength in Jesus when we walk forward. Following our Lord. Obeying him and advancing the gospel. And then it goes on in verse number 17. Or in 16 it says. And above all. All these are important. But above all take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And in listing the the different pieces of armor, the Apostle Paul says, above all, you see, when Satan attacks with his doubts, the, the shield of faith turns aside the blow. When temptation comes, faith keeps us steadfast in following Jesus. When we're able to withstand all the devil's fiery darts, Because we know whom we have believed in. You see, faith isn't just something that comes from us or comes from within us. It is a gift. It's God's gift. The Bible tells us that he gives us all each a measure of faith. You may have more faith in different areas than I do. We all have a measure of faith. But it's our experiences. It's walking through our trials and tribulations that our, our faith begins to grow. It's through the storms, it's through the furnaces, it's through the lion's den that our faith begins to grow. He never said he'll keep you from it, but he'll keep you through it. As long as you maintain faith through who Jesus is. You see, as we walk with him, the faith grows and develops until it becomes a shield protecting us and allowing us to live a victorious life in Christ. And at the end of that life, Of faith, you can stand there and declare exactly what the Apostle Paul said. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. And then we got the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You see, the helmet of salvation, it protects the head and perhaps the most vital part of the body. Since it is the seat of thought and the mind. And when we have sure knowledge of our salvation, we will not and we cannot be moved by Satan's deception. See, when we are certain that we are in Christ with our sins forgiven, we will have a peace that nothing can disturb. That's the importance of the helmet of salvation. Can we be certain of our salvation? Can we be sure? 
Absolutely. Scripture lets us know. It says, if we confess with our sins that he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, God has given us eternal life and in this life is in his son. And who is son and who has his son has life. Then it goes on and tells us about the sword of the spirit and the word of God. You see, the written word of God, the spirit always acts in harmony with the written word of God. I want you to hear that again. The Holy Spirit acts in harmony with the written word of God. So many times we're like, well, the Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit led me to tell you this. Well, does it line up with the Word of God? The Bible says to test every spirit. If it does not line up with the Word of God, it is not of God. You see, the sword of the Spirit is the only weapon of offense, of offense listed in the armor of God. All the other parts are defensive in nature. God's word, the Bible, is described as living and powerful and sharper than, two, or sharper than any two-edged sword. You see, Jesus used this weapon when Satan tempted him in the wilderness. To each of Satan's efforts to lead him into sin, Jesus replied, It is written, not I think, not I believe, not I think he meant, but it is written. You see, God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. It is written. Here's the thing. Can you withstand the devil's devour if you don't know what's written? You see, just Sundays and just Wednesdays is not enough. You have to have a personal relationship with the Father. God is not a God of visitation but habitation. We can't just go to God when we need him. We have, to, we have to live in the presence of the Lord, constantly seeking every single day. And he proceeded to quote scripture to destroy Satan's temptations. You see, God's word is truth. That's why it's so powerful. This is why it is so hated. This is why it's important that we study the Bible and we become familiar with the truth and its power. The sword of God's word both protects us and destroys our enemy, the devil and his temptations. And then the last one in verse number 18. Praying always with all prayer. Everybody say all prayer. prayer. Say all prayer. prayer. Well, what does all prayer mean? It means literally all prayer. Pray in the public, pray in private, pray with the church, pray with your family. Pray over your food, pray over your children, pray over your politicians, pray in the workforce, pray in your, cl- in, in, in your, in your quiet time, pray, all prayer. In the natural, in the spiritual, pray. Praying with all prayer and all supplication in the spirit, being watchful. To this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. For who? For who? For who? I'm going to wait until everybody gets it. For who? That's you. All of you. No one is exempt to put on the full armor of God and go to war. All of you. For all the saints. You see, prayer produces results in situations that your presence isn't permitted. What does that mean? Your prayer can move a mountain when you're not permitted in the school system, 
And it's not talking about physically. You're permitted in your children's life, but a lot of times we know teenagers, we have teenagers, we know children. They don't tell us everything. But your prayer can move mountains where your presence isn't permitted. You don't need to know all things. You need to know the gospel. You need to know the truth. You need to know the promises to proclaim and to profess over your children, over your spouse, over your workforce, over your boss, over your pastor. I want you to think about that. There's so much revelation in that. But a lot of times, the only time we ever go to the gospel or every time we, or a lot of times the only time we ever pray is when we're in a bind. When's the last time you prayed and said, God, thank you for today? I tell God every single morning, God, thank you for today. Today is a good day to have a good day. It's simple. God created you to be simple. He just wants communication. He just wants a relationship. We complicate things. Well, God, what if they don't accept it? What if they do accept it? Playing the what-if game will always keep you out of the game. God, what if they persecute me? Well, the Bible tells you you will have persecution. If you haven't been persecuted for the gospel, you're not doing the gospel right. Do you know that? God actually promises you will be persecuted as a believer. When was the last time you've been persecuted? When was the last time you had a trial or tribulation? If I'm the enemy, let's play the devil's advocate, right? If I'm the enemy, I'm not going to attack somebody that's not a threat. It's time for you to be a threat, church. It's time for you to put on the full armor of God. It's time for you to go to war. Go to war for your family. Go to war for your husband. Go to war for your your wife, for your children, for your children's future and your children's children. We read it in Isaiah 59 talking about your descendants and your descendants' descendants. We sing about it, right? The blessing. And generation and generation. The Bible talks about generational curses, but it also talks about generational blessings. Go to war for your next generation and that generation after them. Go to war for this generation. Everybody on your feet. It's part one of three of my closings. But it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication. That word supplication means continued strong pleadings until the prayer is answered. How many times have we given up because we feel like we haven't had our prayers answered? Or how many times have we prayed once and just said, well, God, if you do it, you do it. If not, I guess I'll figure it out. That word supplication. Continued strong pleading until the prayer is answered. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful. Watchful. So many of y'all have been asleep for so long. Maybe you're awake. Maybe you see what's going on in the world, but maybe you're that person. Well, somebody else will fix it. I love this analogy. Um, living down there close to Houston, you go to the Houston Rodeo. Thousands and thousands of people go into it. And you're walking up the stadium and everybody's arm in arm. And it's always one person. There's always that one person that just makes everybody mad that's walking the other way. Just drives me absolutely bonkers, man. It drives me nuts. Everybody's going and there's just one person. That one person causes a disturbance that everyone feels. 
Maybe you're that one person in your workforce. Maybe you're that one person in your family to go against the grain. Only dead fish go with the flow. All it takes is one person. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to my teenagers. They're like, well, if they, you know, I, I love Jesus and I want to be that change and I just need someone else to do it with me. Maybe, maybe someone's in the same boat as you. If someone would just make a stand and maybe things would be able to change. It was three teenagers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that changed an entire nation. Not a church, not a little bit of town, a nation, kings, magistrates, lawyers. Changed the nation. Three of them went against the grain. Imagine what an actual church. Imagine what you can change here in Wimberley, Texas. Imagine what you can do in Texas. Imagine what you can do in this nation if you actually comprehended and actually work together. The Bible says where there is unity, a blessing is commanded. Do you know that? Not suggested that it might be there, but where there is unity, a blessing is commanded. It's time that we stand in unity as the body of Christ to advance the kingdom of God. But I also want to tell you that there's hope. The Bible tells us that in that day, there will be a separation from the wheat and the tare. He can't take it out now, otherwise he'll ruin the whole crop. But the one thing that we always fail to forget is that in that, when there is wheat and there's tare, there's growth in both areas. As the wheat grows, the tare will grow. As evil will grow, I promise you goodness is growing. All the devil, the devil thinks he's won. The devil thinks he has victory. But all he is doing is giving God a much bigger platform. When there is so much evil and there is so much destruction and there is so much chaos. And when God comes in with his glory and with his love and with his mercy, there is absolutely zero denial that it was God. So don't lose hope. Now you have a purpose in this fight and in this battle. But don't lose hope. But the Bible tells us to watch, to be watchful. You see, so many times the devil plays his hand, and every time we're blindsided because we take a back seat to society in hopes that someone else is watching. It's time to stand up, stand guard, and to protect that which is the kingdom of God's. Mark 13, 33 says, be on guard, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. You see, this is in regards to Jesus and Jesus' return. But why would we need to be alert? Because the devil roams around seeking whom he can devour. There will be countless times that we're going to need to stand in the gap and go to war as a mother and go to war as a father. And to go to war as a friend and go to war as a pastor. To go to war as a neighbor. To go to war as a doctor. To go to war as a boss. And to go to war as a believer. Or whatever title you may carry, there is a time that you are called to go to war. Luke 21, verse number 35 and 36, and I'll go to this in closing. It says, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy 
to escape all things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Number one, to know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. I'm not talking about a prayer that you've prayed. I'm not talking about water they sprinkled on your head as a baby. I'm talking about a relationship with the Father. I'm talking about a turning point in your life. I'm talking about an unconditional love. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want to today, if you don't mind, just raise your hand. Thank you. You see, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible tells you that you're a new creation, meaning that the old has passed away, meaning things actually have to change in your life. Well, what does that mean? Well, number one, seek the Father more. Maybe it's clearing out some of the things that you watch, some of the things you listen to. Maybe it's changing some of the circle of friendships that you have. But there is a transformation that takes place when you give your life to Christ. That's how you know. If all you ever did was say a prayer, then all you ever did was say words. You never gave your heart to God. I'm talking about a true relationship with the Father. Second thing in here is maybe you've been comfortable for far too long on being a pew-bound Christian. And you're in here today and saying, Preacher, I hear what you said. I understood the words you preached. And for far too long, I've been running for my battle. If you're in here today and you're saying, preacher, that's me, I need to start going to war. If you don't mind, just raise your hand. Thank you. Number one is I'm going to pray over you and pray with you. I just had both of my number one and my two, number two. Number one, I'm going to pray over you. And number two, I'm going to pray. I want you to pray with me. We're going to repeat this prayer. But in this, the Bible actually tells us that it is better to not make a promise than to make a promise and not keep our word. When you raise your hand and when you say, God, here I am, send me, I'm telling you, he's going to send you. The Bible tells us to be ready in season and out of season. To be ready. So in that moment, and you're saying, God, here I am. I'm ready to go to war. He's going to put you on a war path. And I pray that you're ready. But the good news is, is you do not have to war alone. You have Pastor John. You have Pastor Brenda. You have a church that loves you, that stands in agreement with you. You have people who are fighting for you, praying over you every single day. You do not have to war alone. Remember, where there's unity, a blessing is commanded. Prayer number one, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on a cross for all my sins. Today, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I invite him to live on the inside all the rest of my days. God, I pray for boldness to go forward warring for the kingdom of God. Battle ready for my family 
for my spouse, for my loved ones, for my workplace, and anywhere else you send me. God, it's time. Here I am. Send me. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Second thing is, is I want to pray over you. And I just want you to stand in unity. I want you to believe in it. I want you to exercise it. I want you to run to the throne room. I want you to run to the things of the gospel and to run to the word. Well, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word, God. I thank you for the hearts, Lord. God, I thank you that every heart in here, every ear in here heard your, heard your word, Lord. I pray that every heart was receptive, that it is going into good ground, Lord. That it will receive a hundredfold harvest, Lord. God, I pray for boldness in a world that casts boldness down. God, I pray for families to be families that you have called and created to be. I pray over mothers and fathers, Lord, that you have anointed them to be the head of the household, Lord, to be the head of the family, Lord, that you're going to point their family in the right direction. God, I thank you for generational curses being broken. God, I thank you for generational blessings going forward from generation to generation. God, I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy, and I thank you for the blood that was shed on Calvary, Lord. God, I thank you that we do not war against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities, God. God, I thank you that you have given us every weapon and every armor that we need to advance the kingdom of God. God, I thank you that you are creating mighty men and women in this place, Lord, no matter the age, no matter the season that they are in in life, God. God, I thank you that they are going to go forth boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God here upon this earth, Lord, that Wimberley, Texas will never be the same. Their homes will never be the same. Hill Country Cowboy Church will never be the same because we are in unity with the word of God, that we are in unity with your calling and the anointing and the places that you have placed us in our lives. God, we give you the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Guys, thank you all so much. I love you all. Y'all go forth. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, it's time.